Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm here, as always, with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt. And Ellen, (laughs) we got a really good conversation lined up today. I know. I'm very excited, too. We're talking to two people who've been working on making the workforce better for a very, very long time. One of them I know really well. Right. That's Michael Bush, uh, who runs the Great Place to Work Institute, which is a longtime partner of Fortune. Gosh, Michael, we go back more than 20 years, right? That's correct. Yeah, the first list was 1998. Great Place to Work is like the data scientists behind our 100 best companies to work for list. They dive into companies, look at their policies. Perhaps most importantly, they survey employees uh, on a wide range of issues to get a, a sense of how engaged those employees are. That's exactly right, Alan. And I just need to take a moment to shout out uh, Michael Bush for expanding the work of Great Place to Work, which was already pretty terrific when he became CEO not that long ago. He made the decision to start seeking and collecting the kinds of data that spoke directly to the experience of identity in the workplace, specifically what it was like to work and grow as a person who was of the, of the non-dominant culture. In this case, of course, we're talking about race and ethnicity, but also LGBTQ and anybody with disabilities and the like. And that shift provided a significant boost to the overall conversation around equity and inclusion across corporate life. Yeah, it was really important, Ellen. And and then we also have today Aaron Ain, who runs a company called UKG. We're going to let him tell you more about where UKG comes from and what it does. But he's here with Michael because UKG recently acquired Great Place to Work. So look forward to hearing what they expect from this new combination. That sounds great, Aaron. So let's start with you. I met you very, very briefly at the Great Place to Work for All Summit in March 2020. And that was right before the world shut down. Then two or three weeks later, you became CEO of UKG. This is a newly merged company, which you brought together Kronos, where you were born and raised as an executive, and Ultimate Software, one of your great competitors. So Aaron, welcome to the podcast and tell us all about UKG. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. I'm uh, honored, truly honored to be here. So UKG, gosh, so much has happened in what seems like a century, but it's really a short period of time. UKG is the merger of two remarkable, amazing, organizations, Ultimate Software and Kronos Incorporated, thus UKG. The official name is UKG. And we saw it, Aaron, we saw it on those hats at the U.S. Open. Yeah, that was impressive. You were doing some branding work out there. That was very good. Lots of white hats with UKG on. You did. Those are perhaps the most expensive baseball (laughs) hats anywhere (laughs) I've ever seen. But um, and I'll leave it at that. (laughs) <laughs> no, we're happy to have some wonderful UKG athletes. And uh, since you brought it up, we have the number one men and number one women's tennis players in the world are UKG athletes. And the number one women's golfer, uh, Nelly Corda, is a UKG athlete. So we're thrilled about that. And so luck of the draw, but it's a good thing. The only thing that would have been better on the U.S. Open, um, well, we wanted uh, Novak to win, but if it could have been gone five sets and it could have been tiebreakers for each one instead of three sets. And it would, we, we would have seen those hats for exactly, two more hours. And just for five sets and tiebreakers each one. But I'm sorry, I, I digress there a little bit. So two remarkable companies that um, basically are in the business of helping organizations effectively manage, pay, take care of their employees, both with thousands and thousands of customers 
surprisingly very little overlap. And so what specific I mean is we help organizations keep track of when people come and go to pay them accurately, schedule them in an automated way so the right person is in the right place at the right time, pay them accurately, help onboard them, recruit them, compensate them, help with performance management, and in general, help create an engaged workforce. And you have a fairly hefty chunk of the Fortune 500 as as customers, at least on the Kronos side of the merger. That's right. We have um, at least 60%. And then we have a whole bunch of other really large organizations, could be public sector organizations or healthcare organizations, which might not normally be on that list. Just about anyone who has employees that needs to pay them accurately and schedule them accurately to help them deliver um, good products, good services. So let's talk about great place to work and hang in there, Michael. I'm going to get to you, but I want to ask Aaron first, because we have at Fortune a long relationship with great place to work. They power our hundred best companies to work for list. We know their power, but I'm curious from UKG's point, why this? Why great place to work? Why did it make sense to do this now? Look, the dynamic of what's going on in the workplace across the globe, quite frankly, is is going through a seismic shift right now. And organizations need to understand that if they're going to deliver great products and deliver great service, they need to have great people. And great people will only stay at organizations if they're engaged and they're taken care of and they're looked after. And so we've been trying to do that from with our products. We've certainly done that with our company. And we said, why not see if we can put those together and help our customers do that more effectively? Take the software solutions we have today, combine that with the tools that Great Place to Work has and make one and one be something bigger than two to help our customers, our future customers, um, be a great place to work. Um, we think we broaden the the scope of where a great place to work can be introduced to and make a difference. And I have a passion for making a difference and a passion for helping organizations be a remarkable place for their employees to work. And this is a company, a tool that that helps to make that happen. Yeah. And, you know, that uh, so well put. And Michael, I, I know you've been saying this something similar for years, but what you really are putting your finger on there is the fact that human capital today is the driver of business value. You know, this isn't just about providing nice nap pods and free food and <laughs> stuff to make people happy about where they work. This is about getting the best people so you can win in the marketplace. I'd like to have Michael Bush weigh in on this. You you have delivered your baby to a wonderful organization and Congratulations on this. Before you talk about why this was the right fit of the options that you had, could you talk a little bit about the kinds of changes and the commitment that you made to Great Place to Work for All during your tenure as CEO? Because you really had a vision and you really worked the levers behind the scenes to make sure that you were collecting the right data and that you were thinking about what inclusion really means in big systems. Yeah, thanks, Alan uh, and Alan. And, you know, Alan, you you were there from the early days. Alan, you were, too. So when I first got to Great Place to Work and bought it with my partner, you know, it was a great brand with a great vision. But the business part of it wasn't running very well. And so we had some turnaround work to do there, which we got done. And, and our partnership with Fortune helped us do that for sure. The other thing is, when we looked at the data, when I first got there, you know, I've been involved in business for a while. 
I knew a lot of people who worked at the companies who were frankly on the list and they were like, those are not great places. Mm -hmm. That made me look into the data and realize that the ones and twos on the Likert scale were a lot of people, often underrepresented people that were not having a great experience. So we changed the algorithms. That's the biggest change we made, the for all change. That, that was it. And that's where we compared the experience from one demographic group versus another. And we rank and reward companies that are having a consistent experience rather than an experience where a group of people, the dominant group, are having a, a great experience. And now we look back and it was like, you know, people think it was like an ingenious thing to do. But uh, at the time, it was a controversial thing to do. Right. We lost some companies, you know, as a result of the change we made. The, the other thing is that, you know, Alan, wh what you just said is all four of us believe that. We believe it's about the people. We know it. There's no trade off. But a lot of the world doesn't, which is our opportunity. And so for us, you know, with, with UKG, who as a part of merging during the most difficult time to merge a company in business history. Yeah. Well, just to make it more difficult, why not change their purpose? Why not do that too? Okay. There's one thing business school you like do not do. That's what they did. And th their purposes, our purpose is people. To me, that is the way to say diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in four words. That is the most inclusive way to say that, you know, probably right on par with great place to work for all. You know, so, so we're both trying to say the same thing. And Aaron's like, look, we got 55,000 customers that we can help become a great place to work. And immediately I'm like, who wouldn't want that? And Alan, as you said, you know, basically what used to be the key to keeping great people or getting great people isn't anymore. Mm. The things you mentioned that used to work. You, you are absolutely right. It doesn't work anymore. And there are some leaders who are looking back, fantasizing. They want to go back to 2019. Well, the fact is 2019 wasn't great for a whole lot of people. Right. It was great for some people. And so what where, you know, Aaron and I are completely aligned and, and his team. And when he put Ultimate and Kronos together, he totally looked forward. He never talks about the past and, and, and what can happen. And so that's us, too. So we just feel like one plus one is a real big number. Yeah, well, well, let's look forward because I think, Aaron, you know, you look at where we I, I've been covering the intersection of business and society for four decades. I'm much older than Ellen. Ellen is my <laughs> young, much, much younger catching up partner. Fast. <laughs> uh, and I've never seen a time in those four decades where so much is going on at one time. We had this incredible technology transformation that you were a part of even before we hit the pandemic. We had a, a kind of a what Michael referred to as a, a, a purpose transformation, the whole move towards stakeholder capitalism, the demands of the environment, of society, of employees. We had the racial justice crisis uh, that happened with the George Floyd murder. And now, on top of all of that, we have this extraordinary reinvention of work where people, everybody went home for 18 months and now they're kind of coming back, but not really coming back and trying to figure out how all that works. And so I guess what I'm curious about is how will you, with this new organization, with Great Place to Work as part of it, how are you going to help people figure this out? Because it's moving very rapidly and sometimes very confusing. Look, I think we're figuring it out on the move real time right now because things are changing 
you know, right under our feet. And so we have to be flexible. We're working very hard to do that. I believe that technology has to be a cornerstone of helping organization do to do that. Look, the whole way you decide where people are, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it is different than it's been historically. And so how do you decide how to help manage your people in that setting? It could be simple things like, do you need as much office space when people come in and want to sit in a place? How do you decide where they're at? Do they have a permanent spot when they're only coming in one or two days a month? Or it could be if you're trying to schedule people at locations because the whole dynamic is different. So on one area, we're trying to use technology. We are using technology to help to help enable organizations to do this more effectively. But at the same time, in 2019, the definition of work was shifting. Mm-hmm. It, you know, 35 million people were workers who wanted to pick their own shifts or when they worked or they were independent people, they were gig workers. That was happening. And, and so then what happened was the pandemic happened and people who didn't work for organized companies were a little bit more exposed and they were yearning. Oh, gosh, I wish I was working for an organized business that could protect me a little bit more. People also care about who they work with now. Just don't schedule me a time that you want me to do it, uh, Mr. Employer. I want to see who's going to work at the same time I'm going to work. And if you don't let me work when I'm going to work with other people I want to work, then I don't want to work that shift. And so we're going to work really hard to use technology to do it. We're going to listen super carefully to what our customers are telling us. We're going to watch what's happening in society and adjust accordingly and then communicate what we're observing and and try to help organizations do that. But it's shifting. And I'm not sure, quite frankly, a year from now, it's going to be like it is today or what we think it's going to be like a year from now today. And I certainly don't think two or three years from now, any of us really have any idea what it's going to be. All right, everyone. As our longtime listeners know, Deloitte has been our sponsor on this podcast since the very beginning. And like us, they're interested in the changes happening in the workplace. So today I'm turning to Deloitte's managing partner and chief growth officer, Stacy Janiak, to share some of what she's learning. Stacy oversees the firm's return to work efforts and is really plugged into how other companies are approaching this. I started by asking about the big trends she's seeing and she quickly talked me right off the ledge. You know, one of the number one concerns is how do you capture, maintain, and ensure that your culture endures? during this time. And not just during the virtual time, but as you shift into hybrid and figuring out the tools and techniques that you can deploy, you know, is I think what's keeping them up at night. Are there, is there any consensus that you're seeing as it comes to what those tools and levers might be? Since April of 2020, there's been over a hundred collaboration tools that have hit the market. Good Lord. And I, exactly. But collaboration, I think, is really the key word that people are focused on in how you can allow for that collaboration in a completely virtual environment, uh, the whiteboarding tools that are available, um, all of the communication tools. And then how do you provide the right set of tools to individuals that are going to be in different environments? Some people are going to come back into a hybrid. Some people are going to come back 
full time and some are going to stay remote full time, but yet you have to make them all capable of working together. So figuring out the right mix and making them easily available, you know, to your employees is really what I think what the game is. So most companies I'm aware of, and that's certainly part and parcel of my beat, which is race and inclusive leadership. We're feeling a certain amount of pressure to think about their cultures before the quarantine happened. And I'm curious what you're hearing or what you're learning from the companies that you're speaking with about how they're thinking about making sure that inclusion, inclusion and equity of opportunity are preserved or in fact, maybe even increased now that we're thinking about work in this new way. Well, I think one of the great things is over this past 18 months, we've all learned what the art of the possible is. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I think that that is, uh, despite all of the, the terrible impact of this pandemic, we do know what the art of the possible is. And the ability to engage in more intimate ways than we were before. I'll give you a great example. When we were going through all of the repercussions of the killing of George Floyd, we created these uh, forums over Zoom, uh, safe space conversations. We could never have accomplished that as easily and quickly and as intimately with our people, but for understanding how to communicate in this virtual environment. So mm -hmm. it allowed for a level of engagement to your point around inclusion that uh, was really meaningful. And we continue to use that today for you know any type of social uh, event that we feel like we need to allow our people to just talk about and talk through. Well, it also sounds like you're saying that there's a ton of collaborative tools in the marketplace and how robust and exciting that is. But it sounds like using the tools we already have to authentically connect with each other is actually a pretty good place to start. Absolutely. It also sounds like what you're saying is that if you've got a really committed leadership team, you're not going to overlook the amazing, say, black woman with two raising two young kids and is still performing at work that she could still be if she chooses to work at home on a real executive track. Is that is that really possible? I absolutely think so. And like I said, we've learned the art of the possible. So if you think about the challenges that would have been thrown up or assumed pre-pandemic around someone on a flexible work arrangement or someone working from home and their ability to be as productive and as engaged, those myths have been busted. And so I think that that affords everyone a much greater opportunity to be able to manage through the challenges they may have in balancing their personal situation with their professional aspirations. Mm. And I think that gets right to your point around that that affords a lot of opportunities to individuals that you wouldn't have had before. I love it. I love it. That sounds like a nice inclusive future. Stacy. thanks so much for joining us today and keep bringing us that great information. We need it. Thank you, Ellen. Aaron, I want to recommend your book, Work Inspired. Um, I, I read it after I met you uh, a thousand years ago before the pandemic. And it's a really wonderful um, manual on workplace culture. And it's 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 a terrific read and a and very useful read. But you when you first settled into your first role at, at CEO um, back at Cronus in 2005, you had an annual turnover, employee turnover of 40%. And you were getting your legs under your leadership legs under you. You took on the people experience 
talent experience in the workforce as your job. Could you talk a little bit about some of the the value words? Because you're talking about love and caring and transparency and humility. That's what the nuts and bolts of getting people to like working with each other are. Yeah. I think we're taught as CEOs or business leaders that perhaps in an old fashioned way, the most important thing are financial results or having great products or delivering perfect customer service. And those are important. But I think um, we didn't realize the shift that was happening about the people who work for us. So for me, when I came in, I wanted to make our organization be much more of a people-centric organization and watch the magic take place from there. So for me, that's about communications. When I walk through our buildings, phone in my pocket, head up, talking to everyone, how you doing, what's going on. I learned so much by over-communicating with people. Trust, I start all my relationships with people I work with by trusting them. People have to unearn my trust. I don't believe in this, earn your trust. And that makes a difference with people. I believe people join organizations because of the organizations, but they leave because of who they work for. I believe it's a privilege and honor to go manage and lead people. I don't always think managers understand that. So we have a our 2000 people managers are held to a really high standard about what it means to be a great leader. You know, we have an open vacation policy, did it before other places did it for a long time because we trust each other. People can come and go when they need to because I trust them to get their work done. Our results speak for themselves. Turnover in single digits were six times the size we were back then when I became CEO. Yeah. Michael, I I want to go back to the diversity and inclusion piece of this, which I think we all believe is an inextricable part of what Aaron was just talking about. You saw that from the day you arrived at Great Place to Work and made it Great Place to Work for all. Then we had the George Floyd murder last year and this extraordinary outpouring of uh, both words, but also commitments by corporate leaders where are we really now? I mean, how much has happened? How much has changed? And where does it go from here? I think, Alan, that for leaders, I would say eight out of 10 leaders, that was a moment in time. For their people, it, it's a movement. Mm. It's still moving. Okay. And that's the dislocation that's occurring that certain leaders don't, they, they don't know. But the great resignation is because of that, that disconnection that has occurred. So I think there are 20% of the companies where the leaders have decided based on what they went through in 2020, which is depression, <laughs> uh, families going through depression, workforces going through depression, communities going through depression, yeah. that global depression caused some to go inside and realize there's something different they want to do. Just like some are like, I want to work someplace else. Leaders are like, I want to lead different. That's two out of 10, though. But I'm fired up about the two out of 10 myself because I think two out of 10, you know, when you look at somebody like Aaron and other great leaders that we know that are on our list, those leaders are delivering outstanding financial results. The other thing they realize is that this equity thing, it, it doesn't make them feel good to look in the mirror and run the company that they're running, knowing they're getting money from everybody. They're getting money from all, okay? <laughs> but it's not getting distributed within their business. 
that way. So this equity of representation is a real thing that 20% of leaders are dealing with, meaning they may be okay on, you know, on the floor room, the warehouse and whatever, you got to go all the way up. Equity of opportunity. You, you know, is, 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 is the other piece. And, and I just want to make sure people understand when you say it's 20 percent, you have the data. You I got know. the data. I, <laughs> You're I, looking I, at what the employees are saying and thinking. Uh, absolutely. You, but if I shared it all, Alan, I'd be out of business. You know, you know so, <laughs> so but but I have it. OK, I, I definitely have it. And so it's easy to see commitment. You know, it, it's easy to measure commitment. It's, it's easy to measure and to see what employees are talking about. And when we ask the question, what would make this place more of a great place to work? What they're saying and what they're talking about is social support and connections, meaningful connections with others. They're talking about a company that's making a difference. They're talking about a company that's not saying they care about the environment, but are doing things every week about the environment. This is what people are talking about in the chatter. It's what they want to be a part of. And so we've got a group of leaders that I'm super excited about who have decided by 2025, we're going to look different, feel different and be different, which means they got to look at their team right now and what it looks like and what are they going to do about it? And some are adding seats to that table. They're like, I can't wait for so-and-so to leave. I'm going to add some seats here because there's always some additional things we can do. They're looking at their boards. Boards are looking at themselves. They're looking at the pipeline. They're looking at how they promote, you know, which is key in terms of equity of opportunity. They're looking at compensation. A lot of good work going on there around equity of compensation. Salesforce, I, getting, I think, the credit for really getting that thing going. And then great companies grabbing on it and, and taking a look at it. And they're looking at equity of well-being. You know, they've certainly learned in 2020 about not only physical health, but mental health. And now the employer's role in financial health of the person. So for all is clear to the working people, you know, what it means. Leaders, are, you know, just aren't quite there yet. So yeah. but I'm going to get you know, I'm excited about the 20 percent. I think as they as they get going, we can hopefully get the 80 percent. Fascinating. I think the two of you together have the power to really make things happen in this area. So thanks for taking time to be with us on Leadership Next and and good luck with where you're going from here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 